0: Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Text for this morning, as I told you, was Psalm 85. If you have a phone or a tablet or you want to pull that Bible out of the back of the pew to follow along as we work our way through this psalm today, feel free to do so. Well we've been trying to engage the poetry of the Psalms to help us unwrap this gift of of Jesus that is ours again this advent season. Or maybe I should say I'm trying to engage the songs and I'm dragging all of you along with me. <laughs> because poetry I have confessed to you is not my strong suit. So I found this quote in my ongoing poetic education this week. The poet's trade is not to talk about experience, but to make it happen. And then my imagination sprang to life a little bit more when I read these words from the same source, this time quoting John F. Kennedy's tribute to Winston Churchill when he said this, he, Churchill, mobilized the English language and sent it into battle. Those words conjured up an image that is on the fringe of being forgotten. A world at war, which just happens to be the focus of my undergrad studies way, way back in the day, and I spent Hours watching the documentary series by that same name and sat dumbfounded, watched the scenes of the firebombings of London and the devastations that ravaged England and Europe and the Pacific Islands. That, as Americans, we had only a very small taste of at Pearl Harbor. But even that fades. My generation, the baby boomers and those that have followed have grown up without such experiences except for a brief reminder on 9-11 that such events can scar the memory and shape our view of the world. Save, of course, those who have gone and faced it for us by serving in those places where such death and devastation continues on today and the police and first responders who put themselves in harm's way for us all psalm 85 bears the heading for the choir master which means that it was written for the gathered people of god at a time of deep despair could be any number of times but in my mind i pictured the return of the exiles from their captivity in babylon So let's walk up to that moment together, shall we? The Assyrians had wiped out the northern ten tribes of Israel in 786 BC and the two tiny remnants of the nation of Israel in and around the city of Jerusalem, namely the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, were then conquered and carried off by the Babylonians in 584. And their city was reduced to ruin. In a brutal forced march, many of the inhabitants were taken to the city of Babylon to be assimilated into that empire because such were the tactics used to erase the cultures of those that they conquered. But after 70 years in exile, suddenly and unexpectedly, except to God of course, The Persians overran the Babylonians and the captives who wanted to go home were released and their return, although incredibly exciting, was also very hard and very humbling because they would have to literally start over. One of the top Headlines this past Thursday as we gathered for our staff Christmas party in a venue with a dozen television screens lining the walls was the thwarting of a possible shooting at Emory-Riddle University in Daytona, complete with pictures of the weapons and the ammunition that had been found. I woke up this past Friday morning and Lois had received a message from her school at 10.52 p.m. reporting that there had been a threat of a shooting at Haggerty High School, but that it had been investigated and was deemed safe for all of them to come to school that day. And of course, it turned out to to be nothing. (laughs) But I said goodbye Friday morning with a certain degree of anxiety. Tornadoes ripped through the Mid South, wreaking unbelievable destructions. The pictures from Mayfield, Kentucky, look like a war zone. We are studying the old last book of the Bible called Revelation in the Women's Morning Bible Study on Wednesdays, and the depictions of political and spiritual forces trying to destroy the pure gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, are daunting. The refugees from Babylon wondered out loud if it would always be this way, wondering if God had forgotten them, wondering if they were being punished. And so do we. Did you hear John the Baptist as he sat in Herod's prison this morning? He wondered, is Jesus the one or should we expect another? And so the psalmist begins, Lord, you were, past tense, favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You gave, forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Now, this poem was most certainly set to music. And so I need you this morning to turn on your imaginations, and I want you to conjure up the full orchestra with the organ, slowly building toward a double or a triple forte crescendo, and all of the voices of the choir and the congregation in unison crying out, restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. And then the lights would go down and the music would grow dark, shifting into a minor key and the questions would come pouring out. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all the generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Now you should pay attention as to which name for Israel is used in the Psalms because the mention of the name Jacob in the opening verse actually opens up a floodgate of the humble beginnings of that less than virtuous character of the namesake of their nation. Jacob, whose name meant one who deceives, was the second-born twin of Isaac and Rebekah, the grandson of Abraham. He had conspired with his mother to steal his brother's birthright. Then he had to flee to the land of his uncle Laban where he fell in love with Rachel only to get a taste of his own medicine when his uncle tricked him into marrying Leah, then taking Rachel as his wife as well along with a couple of handmaidens thrown in to produce twelve sons. Leaving his uncle, he took his flocks and his family and he set out to return home, frightened about what his brother Esau would do when he saw him. And on the way, Jacob wrestled with God, who changed his name to Israel, which means you have striven with God and with men and prevailed. And he did return, and he, and he settled in the land that God had promised to Abraham only to have a famine, drive his whole clan to take refuge in Egypt, which is the beginning of a whole other chapter of that story. But the idea of God taking a sneaking, conniving hustler like Jacob and transforming him into the one through whom God would fulfill his promises is a powerful reminder to us that it is all God's grace all of the time. That there is nothing in Jacob or in his descendants or in us for that matter that makes us suitable candidates for God's gift because God has forgiven much and he has restored often. Jacob, you might say, is the poster child of the whole human race. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, St. Paul wrote. Now look, I know that it is redundant for you to confess your sins week after week. I mean, are we not forgiven once and for all? Are we not in Christ continuously? Why then all of this self-abuse? Except that those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And the history of faith recorded in the Bible is that people continuously forget God and go chasing off after other things to satisfy the deepest longings of their heart for happiness and for security and you name it and we have tried it. Hard work, success, conservative values, even our religious experiences become our idols in which we put our trust. And then the symbols clash, followed by a piercing trumpet fanfare that jolts you to your feet and makes you lean in, and the words burst out explosively, show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. And the room goes as silent as death. And no one moves, and everyone is holding their breath. It is a tired old metaphor, but it still works. You can hear a a pin drop. And a pure, crystal clear, solo voice rings out. It is the voice of the throng reduced to one. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to their folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him that glory may dwell in our land. What will God say? Jesus is the word of God spoken born into the world to bring salvation near to us and people will you mark my words that when god speaks god does what he says peace to all of his saints don't be a fool this coming week do not turn back to chasing after everything that catches your eye in search of happiness and security God's steadfast love. Do you remember? I've told you the last two weeks is the whole Bible summed up into those two words, steadfast love, and it is irrevocably displayed for all people for all time at the cross. Will God be angry forever? No, and never again. For in Jesus, his wrath is silenced once and for all. And better days may return in our lifetime or things may continue to deteriorate. But the word of the Lord, that is God's steadfast love, Jesus endures forever. Listen, listen, listen to his word. I will not forsake you. Be faithful even unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Go tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the poor have the good news preached to them. Steadfast love and righteousness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. The future is absolutely certain and it is secure in his hands. Trust in him and do not despair. For Jesus has risen and Jesus has ascended and Jesus will come again and heaven and earth will meet together permanently. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, Lord, you will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Because God is good. Which means that even the miserable things of this present world are in his hands. He turns evil against itself and uses it to destroy sin and death And the devil himself forever. Even when the enemy thinks he is winning, he is only destroying himself in the process. That's the testimony of the cross. Now, this song ends with a march from being still and knowing God, from motionless meditation on to his steadfast love to determined forward movement. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Take up the cross and follow me. That is, believe in Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Do you know Jesus' footsteps? Look, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, Those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted and reviled for my name's sake. Jesus said, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is specifically, intentionally show steadfast love to those that you meet. Start, please. By talking to yourself. Rehearse God's record of salvation. That's what weekly worship is all about. Rest in his presence here and now go and look around you this week. Somebody taught me this little threefold formula years ago, and sometimes I've even managed to put it into practice. Suppose that your child, your spouse, your friend you pick is hurt, angry, afraid, sad, or generally frustrated and in a bad place. Step number one, acknowledge that whatever they are feeling is real and valid and significant, even if you don't think it is. I don't know if you've learned this yet or not but telling someone that they shouldn't or have no right to feel the way that they feel is not very helpful. Instead you can say things like that must be really painful or or that sounds miserable or I can't imagine what that must be like for you. Step number two, balance the feelings that they are having out with facts, and I do not mean quoting statistics and making arguments to prove their feelings are frivolous. What I mean is helping them to recall the past where God's steadfast love has sustained them. That's what I did with you this morning as we walked through the experience of this psalm. Help them to discover those moments when God's peace penetrated the pain that they were experiencing and they felt His presence. It's one of the reasons why Bible reading and Bible study and devotions and sermons and conversations with other followers of Jesus is so critical because you need to build your repertoire of God moments so that you can balance feelings with facts. And finally, step number three, promise to walk alongside them no matter how long it takes. Assure them that you will not abandon them. One of the questions that we've been wrestling with as leadership, as we seek to nurture faithful followers of Jesus at St. Luke's is, who is your 2 a.m. friend? That is, who's the person that you know you could call even at 2 o'clock in the morning? Acknowledge the feelings, balance the feelings with God facts, and promise not to abandon. Jesus is God's gift that keeps on giving. What? Steadfast love, that was Advent one. Shouts of joy, that was last week and the peace that passes all understanding. Listen. God's steadfast love displayed in the past is pronouncing peace in the presence. Listen. Amen.